0: we have been walking through the book of Ephesians. And so this morning, we are going to kind of re-pick up the book of Ephesians in chapter 4 as we continue on in this series to this beautiful letter that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus. This letter was specifically to Gentiles, so there's a lot of, of, not not a lot of Jewish language that's used in this particular book, but, but he's very specific about what the gospel is, what Jesus did. And so I love this letter because it really speaks so much. It is such a full letter and it really equips us, especially as whether you're a longstanding believer or whether you are a brand new believer because maybe God touched you last week. It doesn't matter. This is an incredible book to understand your faith and how Jesus wants to play out in your life. So I began to ask this question, especially kind of going in here into chapter four. Um, what is our life supposed to culminate into? And I I love how intentional God is and how following the resurrection that we talked about this last weekend and how he's alive, his power and his authority, he is ruling and reigning and he has set us free from the darkness of sin and the power of sin and those things that held us captive. What is our life supposed to culminate to? What is it supposed to ultimately look like? Well, I wanted to start out this morning and kind of Answer that question in in a way by using Matthew chapter 22 this morning, and it's this conversation that that kind of came up because the Pharisees asked this question to Jesus. They said, "Jesus, what are the what is the greatest commandment?" You know, so they're 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 trying to corner Jesus, but Jesus is way too smart for that because he knows everything. Um, that's you know, it's kind of a bonus when you're God of the universe. Um, so. He begins to answer this question, and so he kind of goes into it. But look at with me, and I think we have it on the screen. Matthew chapter 22, look at verse 37 and 40. We'll read it here on the screen. It says this. It says, Jesus replied to the Pharisees, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and it's the greatest commandment. And second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. So if there's a goal, if there's an aim, if there's a climax of our Christian faith, what kind of person is God trying to produce in this new covenant, in this new relationship, someone that loves the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? And we're going to talk about that today because I think Ephesians 4, Paul does a masterful job of helping us understand what that really means, what that really looks like. But then also how it's not just here. It's not just me. It's not just my relationship with Jesus. He then takes it a little bit further and he goes, how does this play outside of your life? And he touches on this secondly, a second is equally important. He puts it parallel with this. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Meaning, see others see people see the world around you you know why because they're important and they're valuable people matter lives matter people are important god died for people he didn't just die to to make a statement he's not a politician he's the god of the universe and he's come to actually save us from ourselves, save us in a way that we could never save ourselves. He made a way when there was no way. And I love where we're going here in Ephesians chapter 4 as Paul brings us through the second half. We're going to be looking at the second half of chapter 4 and how we continue to step into the richness of this new life and relationship. So if you have your Bibles, your digital devices, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, Starting in verse 17, if you don't have it, it's going to be up here on the screen as follows. But I want you to, as we dive into this, I want you to have these two, these two things, like, this is what we're fighting for. Someone who loves Jesus with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, okay? Um, and, and loving our neighbors as ourself. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. This is what Paul said, he says, With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they're hopelessly confused. Their minds, yeah, those guys are full of darkness. They they wander from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Verse 20, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. See, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like god truly righteous and holy so stop telling lies let all tell, tell let us tell our neighbors the truth for we are all parts of the same body and don't sin by letting anger control you don't let the sun go down while you are still angry verse 27 for anger gives a foothold to the devil if you're a thief quit stealing Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to the others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say uh, be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Verse 30, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he's identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Heavenly Father, we we ask that you would just be magnified this morning. This morning is not about us, but it's about you. It's not about any one person that stands up on a stage. It's about the King of kings and the Lord of lords making himself known to those who maybe don't know you. So Jesus, we ask that you would be seen and heard this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would break down every wall and barrier that would keep us from hearing what you want us to hear, knowing what you want us to know, and living out the way you want us to live out. Jesus, would we live lives of obedience, faithfully living for you every single day of our lives. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Paul is basically saying here in these next coming verses, from verse 17 to verse 32, he's going, how do I best put this? Okay, um, you used to live a certain way. You used to think a certain way, so, what I want to put together, what he's culminating here in these last couple of verses, is he's going, I, I want to kind of speak to you a little bit about what it means to be out with the old, in with the new. Okay, so let's let's get out with the old and in with the new. Now, I, I love this idea. You know why? Because I'm married to an anti hoarder I am. I really am. And I'll be honest with you, I love it. I love it. Like uh, there are, like, leftovers is almost a curse word in our household. Like, we don't have leftovers. It's like, it's, he- it's not here very long, okay? It's like, it's, it's in there for a short amount of time, and my wife lovingly leaves it for a day or two for me, okay? And because uh, I grew up like that. See, I grew up with four boys, no girls, which means that if there was food in the house, as long as it didn't look too green, okay, all right, man, that thing's going down, like, we're consuming that stuff. It doesn't matter, okay? Now, my, 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 fam- my wife and my, it's, it's like, if it, if it even, like, touches the refrigerator for too long, yeah, we're exchanging that for something new, okay? We're doing, like, like and, and I, I, you know why I love it is because I'll come home and, yes, maybe all I have is three pieces of clothing less, left in my closet because it's out with the old, and it's interesting, like, and I'll be choosing three pieces, and this is one of my three, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and I've got to go replace, but, but I love that. You know why? Because everyone likes that idea of getting something new and, and having new fresh food and, and a new outfit and this, and this idea of exchanging the old for the new. Like, there's something beautiful about that, because here's what I know is, is when you leave old in your life for too long, it can become toxic. It can become unhealthy. You begin to hold on to things where it begins to, um, begins to be this, this thing that we gravitate to and hold on to and it begins to damage our hearts and our lives. It begins to kind of become like a, kind of an anchor that we kind of cling to, something that we hold on to, maybe something from our past that ultimately is, is hurting our future. We do it all the time. I do. I've done that in my life. I've even looked at my own life. As we're walking through this, I'm telling you, there are things in my life that I had to let go, even this past week, that I'm like, this is not healthy. <laughs> this is not good. I need to let that, let that ship sail. And I think Paul, especially what he's saying here in the second part of chapter four of Ephesians, is he saying, look, I-, I want you to understand what it means to exchange lives. See, your life that you once knew, were born into, you grew up, no longer exists, nor should it exist the way it once did. See, you have you have completely, according to the Lord, you have completely exchanged your life for another now. Like your 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 life. Shouldn't even just be something residual, and this is where I think we sometimes get in trouble. We love we love the you know the old shirt that's super comfortable, okay like I just there's certain things that certain pair of pants, and then I come home and it's gone, and I'm like, where in the world, come on, seriously, sweetheart, love those pants, all right? but they're gone, you know, and I and sometimes. I think God has to reach down and pull these things that are from, uh, that are stuck in our lives intentionally so to make room not just for more stuff, but for more of him. Sometimes we fill our lives with all these other things that actually end up robbing us from the fullness of what we need to be filled with. And I love where Paul goes here at the beginning of Ephesians 4. Because the first thing I think he begins to gravitate, he goes, he goes, I want you to understand, God is not just making a people. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is about calling a people, but also making a person. So he's calling a people, and he's also trying to make a specific person that loves the Lord with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, and loving their neighbor as theirself. And so Paul starts here in verse 17, and I love where he starts. He goes, with the lord's authority i say this. And we're going to look at that a little bit more, but but he starts there. He goes, "This is not a Paul opinion." Let me start there. This is not a Paul opinion. This is not a Joel opinion. Okay? This is not any human opinion. This is the voice on the authority of the only one that should speak to every person across the globe who ever did exist, who's existing, or ever will exist upon this authority, I say this. And then he begins to give this picture of the li- Gentile life. He says, live no longer as the Gentiles do. Okay? There's a lot of Gentiles at the church of Ephesus. And Paul's specifically He's, he's kind of, he's not pulling any punches. And unless you're a Jew, we're all Gentiles in this room. And so he, he's going, hey, your Gentile life, it's not good. Just, it's not good, okay? It's going to hurt you. It's going to damage you. Let me explain what this Gentile life really looks like. And he goes into detail here. He goes, I, I want you to live his life. And so he goes on to say, he goes, live no longer as the Gentiles do, they are, there's some characteristics of a Gentile life. And you need to take note because this, this helps you understand whether or not you've actually taken God's life for yours. Like you've actually, your life is no longer found in yourself. It's now found in the resurrected Savior of the universe. So take note to what Paul is saying. He's going, this life is hopelessly confused. Kind of sounds like our world, right? Hopelessly confused. See, people who live without Christ, we're constantly shifting thoughts, aren't we? Everything's relative. Everything's relative. Our politics are relative. Our truth is relative. Our gender is relative. I mean, there is a number of shifting thoughts and ideas that we go back and forth, and it's hopelessly confusing. It's like, where in the world do we anchor or tether ourselves in some way? Here's what I know about a hopelessly confused person. According to Paul, it's, it's, they're unable to actually um, remain loyal to anything. So, so I may be committed to this today, but then tomorrow, ah, this is too hard. Yeah, I don't like that. I'm, I'm, nope, no longer. Like there's, there's really no loyalty. You're confused. You're, you're like, it's it's how I feel today. Now, tomorrow I might be different. And the next day I may be different. And so on and so forth. There's there's absolute chaos. They're unable, they're unstable in their loyalty. They're unable to determine right from wrong. They don't have a moral compass. According to what Paul is saying, there is not a moral compass that the Gentile life actually has. We just we, we it, truth and right from wrong cannot be birthed from in us. It just can't. See, it's also, if you look at the Greek word for the confusion, it actually means frailty, fragile, easily broken. See, the hopelessly confused Gentile life is, is an easily broken life. It's an easily shifting life. But understand, James gives us clarity in James chapter 1 verse 17, it says this. It says whatever is good so whatever is good, whatever is perfect is a gift. Now I don't want to just I don't want to just breeze over that. A gift is not something that comes from within. It's something that comes from the outside. So James is clearly saying Good of any kind in existence is not found within you. It comes from outside of you, and it's a gift. It's given to you. Anything good, anything perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes. He or casts a shifting shadow. What a great thought. The fact that our God is consistent from the beginning of time to the end of time. See, do you know why? You know why God can make that statement about him and why James can make that statement about him? Is because God doesn't need to improve. He doesn't need to evolve. There's all this thought like, like, i can be better tomorrow and the truth is, is i can i can grow more by the end of today than I did when i first woke up i can be different but god in in as the full person of god that he is he does not have to improve he is who he is he is he is at the extreme of every godly characteristic in all of humanity like He is a God of love. He is the essence of love. He is the definition of love, meaning I can love my wife more and more every single day. God cannot love you or me more than he already does because he's already there. So I want you to to understand this God that we're exchanging. So my life is being exchanged with this God that everything good and perfect that you see in my life or in your life didn't come from you. (laughs) Sorry. And that robs us of this thought that somehow humanity is inherently good. We're not. But that's okay. We know and we can surrender our life to the one who is and we exchange our life for his, and everything good about all that our God is can be found in our life because God can be found in our life. What a hope. What a promise. This is not a bad thing. This is a right thing. So he goes on to say, it's not only are you hopelessly confused, there's also a Gentile life. You're going to find dark minds. Dark minds. He says in verse he says in verse 18, he says, their minds are full of darkness. And then he qualifies what that means. He qualifies, he says, uh, they have closed their minds. So they're closed-minded. We we That word gets thrown around a lot, doesn't it? Us Christians. So closed-minded. R- really? See, I'm open to actually answers that extend to the supernatural. How are you doing with that? See, uh, no, uh, uh, we're actually more open-minded than the non-believer, even though they love to promote that to, to us. I'm open to the most incredible answer. I'm open to the truth that comes from, with, uh, from outside of us, not from within us. Because I know that the best thing I can produce is something broken, temporary, tattered, and will eventually fail. That's what, I, that's what I can produce. That's what a Gentile life can produce. And we have dark, and Gentile lives have dark minds. So how's your mind? See, I love going back to that, that verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And the mind is a powerful thing. How's your mind? Like, is it is it, is it filled with this, with this confusion? Is it closed-minded? Is it wandering from God? Because that's the second part. The second part of a dark dark mind is it's wandering from God according to verse 18. Like it, think of the children of Israel. They had to have some dark minds because they were in the wilderness for how many years? 40 years. We got problems. But it's okay. God understands humanity better than we understand it. He doesn't look at us and 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 kind of no, he, he loves us. He continues to beckon us. to to us. He understands that we have dark minds and we struggle with this. I mean, I I love Romans 7. Paul gives us a clear understanding of this battle here, this battle that we have up here. He says in Romans 7, verses 22, he says, I love God's law with all my heart. See, but I want you to see this conflict. But there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. See, there's sin that's in me, and it's battling for this. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And it's constantly going after this. And as we'll discover here is because when you have a dark mind, given enough time where we begin to entertain dark things in this world, When you begin to put things in your life, eventually, because see, this becomes a God-given filter that if God's in control, God can filter things out appropriately. 2 Corinthians, casting down imagination and every high and lofty thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing in captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I can capture every thought to the obedience of Christ. And if it is not of God, I can dismiss it. You know why? Because of the authority Paul's authority, because of the authority that Jesus has given us, I no longer have to think about that. I no longer have to go there. But uh, he's recognizing here in Romans that it's a battle with our mind. It's a a war with our mind. Because eventually, if you lose here, it eventually goes to the last part of what a Gentile life is, which is a dark heart. See, when it goes from here to here, that's a harder battle. I'm not going to lie. And I know that because because Proverbs 4.23 tells us, Solomon tells us, he says, guard your heart above all else. Why? Because it determines the course of your life. I can have battles, and I do. I have battles every day, just like you have battles every day right here. But when all of a sudden you surrender to that battle in in a sinful, lustful way, it transfers from here down to here, and this becomes the coordinates that lay out the path for your life. So, if my heart is dark, if it's hardened, if it's un- because a dark heart is a hard heart, an unrepentant heart. We see this when we look in, uh, at Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 9, verse 35. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He was unrelenting, unwilling. No, this is who I am, and he, he's digging himself in. When you have that heart, it's this, it's this, this absolute volitional, I'm, I'm literally anchoring, anchoring myself right here in this moment. I will not be moved. That's what happens, and that's why it's so hard to see some people, some lives, shift it it takes an act of god now here's the great thing about god he's gracious he's merciful and my i remember my parents my mom prayed for her parents for over 35 years before they came to christ it's a it's a journey but guess what jesus can still do it There's no lost causes, there's nothing that's impenetrable, as we talked about, or uh, unbreakable, or unpassable, that Jesus Christ has not navigated and pierced through the darkness to reveal his glorious light. There's no heart that's so far gone, there's no sin that's so great that God cannot forgive, and no heart that he cannot capture. But this is the Gentile life, we're confused, we have dark minds, we have dark hearts. So here's, if you're living this Gentile life, please don't be surprised when people sin. It's natural. Like, the Gentile life, the sinful life, sin is natural. We're born into sin. So stop arguing about, I can't believe our culture did that. I I can. Like, think about it. They're wired for it. They know one way of doing life, and it's not God's. So don't be surprised about when it happens. Pray against it. Use what Paul spoke here at the beginning. He says, with the Lord's authority. Go back to that. See, my life no longer belongs to me. I don't have a Gentile life. I I now have a life found in the Lord. But then he goes on, he goes a little bit further, and, and I love, let me, let me kind of put this, this part in a, in, a, in, a, in a just kind of a, Paul does a great job in 2 Corinthians, let me say this. He does a great job in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to help us understand what this exchange looks like, how there's no longer the Gentile life that we ought to live, but now his new life that we've been brought into Jesus Christ with. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14 through 17. It says this, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life, that old Gentile life, that old sinful life. Because when we're born, we're born into that old sinful life. There is an old sinful man that is at, control, that is at the helm of our life from the moment we're, we're born into this world. He died, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. See, a dark mind, a dark heart, hopelessly confused, they're all about them. They're not about anything else, they're about them. But a new life, the new life says, I don't have to live for myself anymore. Instead, they will live for Christ. We will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. The resurrection, it was God's stamp of approval. God the Father went, He's everything he said, everything he lived for, everything he died for, everything he spoke, every word, every action that he did, that is my son, and you know how I'm going to prove it? No one rises from the dead but God, so he rises from the dead, and that was the mark of authority. It was, that, it was him kind of that stamp of approval from God the Father going, that's my son. There's no one else like him. He is God. He is God. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human standpoint of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, right? Before we know Christ, we look at Christ and we're like, the guy is crazy, He's bonkers, and people that believe in Christ, guess what? You're crazy. You're bonkers. You're a bunch of weirdos that come in on Sunday and 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 you do all these weird lifting your hands and you know and you look at this old book. Bu- yeah, I get it. From the world's standpoint, yeah, makes sense, absolutely. But he goes, when Christ comes in, we no longer look from a human point of view. How differently we know Him. living his life. We've exchanged our life for his. But then he goes, I want you to understand something here, starting in verse 20 through 24. Your, like, life and truth go hand in hand. Like, we need to understand that truth and life, you can't separate them. See, without the truth of the word, we become untethered from an eternal anchor. Paul is not, once again, not giving his opinion. Go back to the very first part. With the Lord's authority, I say this. This is not my words. This is not my actions. I say this according to the truth of who God is, what he has said, and based on that and the authority that he alone gives me, I now speak to you. This is how you ought to live. This is how you ought to think. This is how you ought to function. Based on that he says, and then, you, so you get into verse 20. He says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. See, what we learned about Christ is different than the Gentile life, right? It's not a dark mind. It's not a dark heart. It's not hopelessly confused. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, he goes, because of that authority, because of that, guess what? I'm gonna show you how to live victoriously. And this is what he gives. He gives this list, list of what a victorious new life ought to be. A life that loves the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. And he loves and loves our neighbors as ourselves. Here's what he says: He says this. He says, throw off your old, sinful nature. I love the fact that we have authority to throw off. Your old sinful nature, your old sinful ways, because of, not because of you, because of the authority that has been now placed in you, the position you are now called into, I can now live a different life. The old sinful ways and patterns of your life should no longer have a hold on you, and just in case it gets a grasp in your life once more, guess what you have? Authority. I've talked to so many believers, so many believers that end up living a life of toleration. Now this is just my lot in life. This same sin, just keep dealing with it over and over and over. And this, I, I, I'm never gonna get, I'll just learn how to navigate, oh Jesus help me today and I'm going, this is not how I read this. This is, what not, this is not the life that, that Christ has called us into. Christ goes, stop thinking you don't have authority. Stop thinking you don't have power. Stop thinking that, that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is not in you and not flowing through you. And so when sin is made evident in your life, guess what you do? You stand, you repent, you confess and repent and you lay before the foot of the cross, and based on the authority of God, I take these old sinful things that are in my life, and I throw them away in the name of Jesus Christ. This is the authority you and I have. I think we forget this though. We forget that we have authority. You have power because of the Holy Spirit living in you. Now once again, remember I told you, it's a gift, anything good, Anything perfect in your life, it's a gift. But it's a gift nonetheless that you have and you possess and it possesses you and it controls you and you can stand and you can speak to those old sinful ways that begin to try to creep back in and you can speak against them and say, I don't want this in my life. I no longer need this in my life. I will not tolerate this in my life in the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, I stand against the gates of hell you shall not prevail because of who Jesus is, not because of what I've done. This is like this is this is victory, family. Like this is this is the hope. This is the, and it's not about perfection. And I've said this before. It's not about. I'm. We're not fighting to become perfect because guess what? We're never going to be there. There's one perfect. His name's Jesus. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. Is your heart? Is your mind, is your life continually heading in the direction of Jesus? Every day, every day I sin. Pastor, yes, I do. We can talk. You talk to my, she'll give you a whole list, okay? There's all kinds of stuff, all right? But the reality is, is yes, there's a struggle and it's called sin but I no longer have to submit to the authority of that old man anymore. I can now, through the power of God within me, I can now stand and I can resist and I can throw off the sinful ways and the former ways of living which corrupted me with lust and deception that no longer has a hold. I love Hebrews 12. I love what it says here in verses one and two. It says this, it says, therefore, and many of you know it, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to live the life of faith, men and women just like you and I that lived before us, that are constantly doing what Paul's challenging us here in this moment to throw off all of this, all these witnesses that have been doing it for years. He goes, Therefore, since we're surrounded by them, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin. That so easily trips us up. And let us run the race with endurance, the race God has set before us. Verse 2 says this We do this, how? By keeping our eyes on Jesus. That's how we do it. Every day, every day, if you're not waking up, setting your sights on the things above rather than on the things below. Fixing your eyes on the Lord. Goodness, I'll just be honest. I'll be transparent with you in this. I, I, had to, I had to go to the Lord. I needed my brother Caleb to come in and we needed to pray. You know why? Because I need to fix my eyes on Jesus. I'm not enough. You're not enough, but we don't have to be enough because he is enough. This is our reality and this is our daily grind. Don't get weary in well-doing. Take the authority God has given you. Cast aside those sinful things that weigh you down God is in the business of transforming you. Stop tolerating sin. Stand against it, speak against it. The other thing is is let the spirit renew thoughts and attitudes. Like I love this renewal. This this it's this absolute renewal that takes place. See, Christ replaces the way that we make decisions. Before Christ, we made decisions a specific way. How I feel and 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 I'm not saying that emotions don't still play a part, but but based on how we feel and and based on our own sinful desires, how does this work out best for me? You know why we have trouble celebrating other people? Because we're so focused on this. We're so focused on ourselves. Do you know why sometimes churches can't celebrate other churches? Because they're focused on this. You know what? I'm celebrating every church in Las Cruces that keeps Jesus Christ primary. You know why? Because we're on the same team. We're fighting the same battle. We're sharing the same gospel, and the lost need to know Jesus. And I can celebrate with them. I'm not threatened by that. You shouldn't be threatened by that. We are on the family of God's team. We are, we are children of the Most High God, and so when someone comes to Christ and knows the resurrected Savior, man, I can get behind that. You can get behind that. You should get behind that. This is a, this is a Jesus victory. This is not just a real-life victory. This is all about him it's never been about us and so let's sell, let, let the spirit renew our thoughts it's it's, it's I, I, the way that i looked at it and the way that i read it th- read this is it's god's autocorrect you like autocorrect i do i write some letters write some emails okay i love it it makes me laugh okay i'll just i love my mom okay but she kind of like you know voice texts but then she doesn't read her voice texts she just send just send that, and honestly, it it becomes such entertainment for me. I'm like, I have no, this is hilarious. going to save that, save, like I archive all of mom's stuff because it's like all literally out in left field. I sometimes can figure out what she's saying, but a lot of the time I just have to call her. Maybe she does that on purpose, you know, she's just kind of, oh my goodness, I didn't know that. Yeah, call. Cool, that's great, you know. But this is like the renewal of our thoughts and our attitudes. I need to learn how to make new decisions based on who the Holy Spirit is in my life so that I can live out my life according. Our our filtering process comes through our mind. Our mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Like, let God renew this and restore this so that nothing but Him is found here. Romans 12, 2 says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but again, let God transform you. I mean, you read passages like this, and I'm going, well, what do we bring to the table? Absolutely nothing. We bring nothing to the table. God alone transforms you. He says this here in Romans 12. Let God transform you. I mean, I just... Let him, yes, let him. By faith, you believe that God is superior and all-powerful and all-capable of doing in you what you cannot do. And he will come in and he will transform you into a new person by how? By once again, by changing the way you think. Right here. This is pretty important. What's going on in your mind? What's going on in your heart? Like, like, And then, then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Do you see how God's word just kind of overlaps in these layers and, and his truth reinforces its own truth and reinforces its own truth? Because own? God doesn't change. He's, he's not shifting shadows. He's, he's stable. He's my eternal anchor and we can base our entire life on him. Let God transform you. But then it's this. Put on your new nature. Put on your new nature. The same power that raised Christ from the dead now resides in you. You no longer sit under the authority, the pattern, the power, and the nature of sin when Jesus Christ comes and you put your faith, hope, and trust in the resurrected Savior. Jesus saved me because I can't save myself. So imagine for a moment, just imagine, in Christ, we can move to a place where sin is no longer our default activity. Do you realize that? I'm not saying that we do it perfectly and we have absolutely no no sinful problems anymore. That's not what it's saying. That's not what I'm saying. But he is saying, he's going, you can choose God before sin. You can get to that place when Jesus is your God. Uh, is renewing your thoughts when you have put on your new nature. It's, 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 again, same authority. I can put on my new nature. I can set aside sinful things. I can have the Spirit of God renew my thoughts and my attitudes because of the authority of who Jesus is, and I will declare and I will claim that authority in my life and let him do what only Jesus can do. Colossians 3, 7, and 10 says this. I love this. He says, You used to do these things. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. See, the Gentile life is all we knew. But then Jesus came and he did what only he did. And so you, because of the renewing of your mind and your attitude, because I'm able to throw off sinful things based on the authority of who Jesus is, because I'm able to put on my new nature of what Jesus is, I used to do those things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of all these things. Anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. No longer has claim. No longer has hold of us. He ends in verses 25 through 31. And he gives this list. He lists different things. But I I don't want you to get hung up by just this list of sins. He mentions lying, and he mentions anger, and he mentions stealing, and he mentions uncontrolled tongue, and he mentions bitterness. And I love these things that he lists. He's going, okay, so a transformed life, a a life that loves the Lord God without our heart, soul, mind, and strength, a, a life that is loving our neighbor as ourself is a transformed life. And that transformed life, I can say no to sin and yes to God. I can actually have a spirit that renews my thoughts. I can put on the new nature so I can begin to walk, live, make decisions different. And oh, by the way, let me give you a list. Let me give you a litmus test of the kind of life I'm talking about here so you understand practically and pragmatically. See, God is not coming in to try to better you. He's trying, and not just trying, he has and will accomplish something new. Not something here, let's just kind of let's kind of make this a little bit better. Let's have you evolve into something a little bit more. Let's no. Jesus comes in and makes something new. He transforms you. So you're lying. I love I love how what he says here. He goes, "You're lying is no longer going to stay in the category of lying. Uh, we're going to shift it to truth. I'm going to take something old in your life, the lying Gentile self, and I'm going to turn it into a mouthpiece of truth. So uh, I'm going to take your anger which no one's angry in here. I'm super glad. Um, And and we're going to transfer that into this area of kindness. And we're going to take this stealing and we're going to transfer it into hands that serve one another. We're going to take an uncontrolled tongue and we're going to turn it into a voice of encouragement. It's funny how Paul specifically chooses these because he's almost saying, he's like, he's like, look, the exchange that happens here the living out of God's word, which is the second part of our vision statement, by the way. The second part of our vision statement, I just want to put it up here real quick. Our vision statement says this. We exist to be a people of prayer, living out God's word. I'm not asking you to just come in here and just absorb Christianity. I'm not asking you to come in here and just, and just kind of get your fill for the week. If you're a believer and you're a follower of Jesus, whether you reside in these doors or in another set of doors, God's calling you to do this. Live, live out his, living out God's word. Like there's, there's an actual proactive life that bears outside of the life of believer. And so, so he touches on these couple things and he says, I want you to begin, instead of lying, I want you to begin to, hear, I'm going to exchange that to, to have you think differently. I'm going to have you, instead of anger, I'm going to have you love differently. Instead of stealing, I'm going to have you move into my new life, which is working differently. Instead of an uncontrolled tongue and I can't control my, I'm going to have you speak differently. Do you see how there's this exchange that's going on from the old life to the new? And I'm not saying that it's easy. Paul's not saying that it's easy. But it's our life. It's our life. It's the life that the resurrected Savior has given to you, is inviting you into. He wants to do in you what you can't do in yourself. And you know, uh, I was reading some articles, 99% of the daily life of our walk with Jesus is the daily grind. It's hard. It's not a super highway. It's not. It is, it is just a long obedience in the same direction. And you know what, it's got all kinds of hills, mountains, and trials along the way, and storms that try to defeat you, and, and moments where you feel that every ounce of, of joy is robbed from your life. But can I just say in those moments, Jesus becomes more real, more precious in those somber moments of when you feel like you've experienced your greatest defeat, God's ushering in his greatest victory. You know why? Because he's dumping out and purging all those things that once held you captive, and he's replacing it with more of himself. See, none of us like storms. I was talking with a friend of mine who was telling me about birds. Okay? And he was telling me how the birds um, he saw flying, uh, during you know as they migrate, they were flying in the storm And it was and he was asked why why was why are the birds flying in the storm and and this one guy was, was saying, well the reason why they're flying in the storm is because the birds use the storm to get where they need to go faster. They actually arrive at their def- destination sooner in the midst of the storm and isn't that like us? like, there's storms all around us. We, we, our first response is to cower and kind of step in. No, God goes, I want you to fly in the storm. You know why? Because on the authority of Jesus Christ alone, you will stand fast. You will stand with power and authority. And yes, though it may be hard and it may be wearisome, and yes, you may feel like you can't take another step, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. This is the life we have now been called into. This is what Paul is telling us here in Ephesians chapter 4. And so as you begin to look at it, I want you to understand that remember, instead in verse 32 of Ephesians 4, he says this, instead of how we used to live, be different. Be kind to each other. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ Jesus has forgiven you. You see, we're we're stepping into this new life. With the Lord's authority, I can now live his life. With the Lord's authority, I can now live in his truth. With the Lord's authority, I can now live out his live his life out his way because of who he is. God, exchanged my life. Exchange my life for who you are. Romans 7, verses 4 through 6 says this. So my dear brothers and sisters, and with this I'm done. This is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are untied, or excuse me, united, with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result... As a result, because we're tied to Christ, our new life is found in Him, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. It's only possible through Him. When we were controlled by our old nature, our sinful desires were at work within us. The law aroused these evil desires and produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now, but now, we've been released from the law For we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. God doesn't take something old and just kind of make it better. God takes the old skeletons in your closet and completely gets rid of them. He destroys them. They no longer have a hold on you. In the authority of Jesus Christ, They no longer have authority on you. Christ didn't come to merely improve or make better, but through an act of creation, make all things new. He made you new because of who Jesus is. He's not taking old furniture and he's slapping spiritual duct tape on it. You had furniture like that, come on. He goes, I'm gonna give you something new. I'm gonna make you new. I'm going to transform you into the person I always meant you to be. God does not work with reclaimed wood. Jesus makes all things new.